tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. I'm Sean Ingle, and I'd like to welcome you back to Parallel Lines, a DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. The podcast covering DC Comics superheroes with familiar names, but vastly different origins and narratives. For instance, in the regular DC Universe, Harvey Dent is an acid-scarred criminal, and Pie Face is a horrible, horrible name for a supporting character. And in the Tangent Universe, Harvey Dent is a police officer turned nigh-omnipotent superhero, and Pie Face is a horrible, horrible name for a supporting character. So, I guess some things never change. Regardless, today we're going to focus in on the second half of what could be the Tangent Universe's world's finest, as we turn our coverage to the title Superman, a book penned by Mark Miller and drawn by Jackson Geis. And to give us the rundown on this Man of Tomorrow of the Tangent Line, I'm glad once again to be speaking with my good friend and Superman aficionado, Mr. Michael Slam Bradley. Hey, everybody. Sorry, I just walked right over you there. That's that's no problem. I'm, you know, uh, doing doing podcasts where we're not like looking at each other or like in the same room. It's it's often difficult not to speak over people. So Mm. the the fact that we actually get cogent podcast out there is kind of a minor miracle so there you go yeah and i'm not sure cogent is really the right word that's probably for anything that i do but well um, it's it's significantly better than what i do so we'll just leave it at that but yeah we're going to be tackling the uh, superman book today um and we've got a little bit of uh a little bit of stuff to do prior to to doing the comics so what did we want to talk a little bit about emails or did you want to talk a little about about the uh the uh, uh, yeah. event that's going to be going on. Yeah, let's go ahead and do the email first, and then we'll break into news because we actually have news this time, which is weird. Oh, awesome for books that are a decade old or decade and a half old. But mm-hmm. uh, we've got an email from frequent writer Gene Hendricks, who wrote in about episode I'm going to say eight, which was secrets, which was the Secret Six book. And Gene wrote, Sean and Michael. It sounds like, as you said, we have an Avengers kind of vibe here, with different heroes assembling to combat a threat that they couldn't handle alone. The fact that it makes the Flash and Sea Devils a bit more palatable is a plus. Besides, how can you go wrong with Dixon and Grummet? The one problem with this one, there's no second issue. Gene. Mm-hmm. I, I would have to agree with that. That's the problem that I think we've constantly complained about mm-hmm. during this entire run, is there are no second issues. These are These are books that are unfortunately crying out to be developed into their own 
into their own universe line. If if DC were to go something like they're doing with the digital books, like the Superman or the Batman Unchained, is that the one I'm thinking of? And Superman Beyond or Superman Unbound, mm-hmm. the, the, the digital only books and sensation comics, put them outside the DC universe, but maybe do them digitally that would these i think these books would be ripe for people coming in to write that stuff and uh, yes dan jerkins is very busy on working on a lot of stuff in the dc universe but i don't see ron mars doing specifically too much writing for dc and i don't know if he has any negative feelings about dc and he's been pretty prominent in working in the tangent line so getting ron mars to do something like this would be really great but uh, but whether or not that's going to happen is yeah or even a different creator you know it wouldn't have to be someone that had worked on the books themselves as long as they could carry forward the tone and the the feeling of the books that would be fine with me oh definitely yeah because because it's like we've said before the these are characters that are ripe for stories being told about them that that go beyond you know just what we have in these two series of books. Right. Just theoretically talking about something that will very honestly likely never happen. If they were to create a digital only or digital first tangent book, would you want to see it focus on just a specific character or? have it be more of an anthology title where like each quote unquote issue focused on a different character or make it more of a universe book where it was constantly kind of shifting focus between or, or focused on several characters at one time see i'd probably like to like to go with this sort of anthology thing this in, in a way sort of what we're getting with these first two lines uh you have different heroes uh you have basically the tangent universe digital comic that would have different heroes star in the book uh each issue but there would be a sort of a narrative through line for the entirety of the book that would kind of culminate maybe at the end of a digital season with a big event book i mean nothing nothing like you know war of the gods or blackest night or anything like that but just things seeding from one character's book to the next that kind of build upon each other, not unlike what we've seen in the tangent books of recent time, the tangent books that we've been reading for this show. Hmm. That'd be all right. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem with that. And I think, the, like, like I've said, I think these characters are ripe for stories being told about them. Mm-hmm. But thank you very much, Gene, for the email. We really do appreciate it, as always. Mm-hmm. Gene, if you don't know, works a lot over at the Two True Freaks website. He does the Hammer Strikes podcast. He does the Quantum Cast. He does the Legends of the Superheroes podcast. And he also has started up a new podcast with Dr. Bill Robinson called Anime Freaks, where right now they're covering the uh, Star Blazers series. And that's been, a, that's been a really fun listen. Very cool. Check it out, folks. Mm-hmm. But we, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say we also have we also have some you have some uh, some stuff to comment about the uh, the breaking news dealing with the uh, tangent universe kind of yes Uh, it'll be about a month ago when you folks hear this show or two or three weeks anyway but DC recently announced their big summer crossover event slash money suck which is going (laughs) to be called convergence and. DC is moving offices this summer. They're moving from the East Coast to the West Coast. And because of that, the rumor is because of that, they're, they're putting out this Convergence series, which um, they're going to 
it'll it'll be the only books they publish for I think April and May while they shift offices because they can do all these books ahead of time and you know, that that way they won't have to worry about getting books out while they're shifting everything over. But anyway, we don't know a lot at this point, but what we do know is that Convergence is going to be an an eight issue series with a zero issue, so nine issues, and then there will be forty two issue miniseries, so eighty issues in all for those, and it will focus on various like else worlds and uh, different realities coming together for, from what I understand, basically a a, a big kind of uh, crossover and and fight between all the various universes and. Uh, they released a piece of promotional art, and one of the alternate realities that will be featured in Convergence is the Tangent Universe. Mm-hmm. That was really exciting to see. Uh, it was neat to see all the various universes. You you obviously saw sort of the Earth Two characters mm-hmm. of the 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 Golden Age Flash and Green Lantern and all that that weren't the specific New Fifty Two Earth Two characters. You saw. Um, various members of the Batman family. Uh, You know, it it was, and it really surprised me that you also saw the tangent characters in there. It was like the Adam and Green Lantern. I'm trying to remember who else. I think the Flash was in there as well. Flash and Superman. Mm Mm-hmm. So if they're trying to, it, it, it really, it really makes me happy that this, this book that's, not really as well known as a lot of the you know you figure Earth Two the Silver Age or the Golden Age Flash and the the JSA the Justice Society mm-hmm. would be an easy thing to try and bring back for this multi dimensional multi universe crossover but the fact that they're also bringing back this little thing the Tangent Universe really kind of says that there's hopefully a desire for people to see more stories with this and this yeah. is kind of what I'd like to see throughout. They haven't specifically mentioned anything that they're going to be doing specifically with the tangent characters, but I'm certain there'll be more information coming out within the, uh, the near future. I know they released, I read a recent IO nine article that by the time this comes out, will probably be a couple of weeks old as well. That uh, said some of the things they're planning on doing, and it looks right now that it's more dealing with Flashpoint characters, so just pre-New 52 characters interacting with the New 52 characters. Hmm. But hopefully there will be more interaction with the Tangent characters and more stories about what's going on with them in, in the near future. Yeah, My guess is, and this is just pure speculation on my part, but those 40 two-issue miniseries will each focus on a different reality whether it be you know the the kingdom come universe or the earth 2 universe or the the tangent universe so hopefully we'll get at least a, a short form story with one of those focusing on the tangent universe oh i I'd, I'd, I'd love to see something like that because like i said a tangent has really been one of these very interesting quirky out there types of stories that i've really really enjoyed all the stuff that they've been putting out for it yeah. so to see that we're going to have an extension of this in the new 52 and this new era is, is just it's just uh, it's just a thrill for me mm-hmm. uh, but like I said there's not a lot of information out there right now but be sure to keep an, an eye on the Facebook page or an ear on future episodes and we will share it as it comes along and you know when we get to since we are going to cover through the Superman's Reign uh, 12 issue miniseries you know after that we will talk about any Convergence stuff that involves the tangent characters too. So, 
yeah, if if the convergence stuff looks looks interesting and looks like it's uh, worth covering, I think I wouldn't have a problem uh, putting that in as uh, some extra episodes that we yep. can cover. So are we ready to get into the book of the the, the uh, episode? Yes, yes, we are. Let's go ahead and do this. Well, as Sean said, this time out, we're covering The Superman, which has a cover date of September 1998 and was released on July 29th, 1998. It's got a cover price of $1.95 and 32 pages. Our cover is by Jackson Geis. And the story inside, it was uh, titled Future Shock. And creators are Mark Miller Story, Jackson Geis Art, Laverne... I'm not really sure how to pronounce this, so pardon me if I'm completely butchering it, but we're going to say Laverne Kizanierski, colorist, Digital Chameleon Separations, Comic Craft Letters, Frank Berrios, assistant editor, Eddie Braganza, editor, editor, special thanks to Joe Illage, tangent based on concepts by Dan Jurgens. The birth of a child is normally a joyous event. But when the child's father is screaming in the next room and the mother dies during delivery while strapped to a table and surrounded by heavily armed military soldiers, it's something closer to a horror movie. Such is the circumstances of the birth of Harvey Dent, born in a secret Nightwing facility 23 years ago. Today, Harvey is a New York police officer attempting to talk suicidal architect Carter Hall from the roof of a newly newly designed skyscraper. Harvey handcuffs himself to Hall in in an attempt to stop him from jumping, but Hall leaps anyway, pulling Harvey off the edge with him. As the two hit the ground with a thunderous slam, Hall is killed instantly, but Harvey survives, bruised, but otherwise unscathed. Doctors are unable to explain the miracle of Harvey's survival, but Harvey, his girlfriend Lola, and friend Pieface are all just happy he's still alive, so none of them give it much thought. But in the weeks that follow, Harvey begins to change. His mental acumen and physical stamina grow. He begins developing other abilities, both physical, such as the ability to fly, and mental, including pyrokinesis, telekinesis, telepathy, and ESP. Harvey relishes his new powers, but soon finds he has to hide them from his fellow officers who begin to resent him. Still, in his off hours, Harvey puts his abilities to good use by attempting to clean up his poverty-stricken and crime-riddled neighborhood. As his powers grow, so does the legend of the Superman. And soon Harvey expands his fight to meta-human crises the police can't touch, such as the Homeboy Legion, Two-Face, Master of Disguise, and the grotesque Batgirl. However, Harvey's growing powers also cause him to grow more emotionally distant causing rifts between not only Harvey and the other superheroes, but Harvey and Lola. People begin to wonder if he actually likes playing Good Samaritan, or if if he just likes solving problems. Ultimately, the strain becomes too much, and Lola tells Harvey she slept with Pieface. She admits it was a mistake, but that she was desperate for the companionship and company that Harvey's been denying her. Surprisingly, though, Harvey, Harvey is seemingly unbothered by the revelation coldly replying that because of his telepathy, he knew that she would sleep with him before she did. Soon, Harvey turns his attention to uncovering the origin of his powers. He's contacted by Nightwing operative Black Orchid, who gives him a map to a hidden Nightwing base, where she says he'll find answers. 
Harvey attacks the base, easily taking out the Firestorm Troopers that are guarding it. He uses his telepathy to decode the hard drives at the base and uncover Nightwing's biggest secrets. It's revealed that in the 1970s, in the face of mounting Soviet aggression, a Professor Joe Chill, who was one of the scientists on the original Atom Project, sought to turn America into the first superhuman nation. As a test, Chill used something he created called the Miraclo Solution to infect the water supply of a small South Carolina town. Unfortunately, things went very, very wrong, and the entire population of the town was left dead or horribly mutated. Harvey was born soon after, a child of two survivors, but showed no sign of the abilities Chill had hoped for, and the entire experiment was deemed a failure, with Chill taking the blame, ultimately being painted as one of history's greatest villains and disappearing soon after. With the discovery of Nightwing's horrific deeds, Harvey turns his attention to the operatives themselves. Their fate is left ambiguous, but one can assume that it wasn't pleasant. Three days later, Lola types an email, hoping to reach out to Harvey and repair their broken relationship. Harvey appears and offers Lola a Miraclo solution pill, so she can become like him. As an EMP pulse spreads, knocking out power across the globe, and something Harvey calls the ultra-humanite arises in the Soviet Union, Harvey tells her he can't go back to being an ordinary human, but that he's perfected Chill's formula, and if she takes the pill, she'll have evolved millions of years by that night, and they can stop the ultra-humanite together as Mr. and Mrs. Superman. Hesitant, Lola presses Harvey about his true motivation, and Harvey swears that he loves her and needs her. And as the two embrace and Lola swallows the pill, she replies, Good, because I'd hate to think this was just another problem you wanted to prove you were capable of solving. This this was a really great return to form. I mean, after mm-hmm. the Batman story we did last time, which I think we were okay with, but we were not as enthused with it as we were the previous issues or stuff that we had with the uh, first uh, few stories in the Tangent Line, this is uh, a trip back to the strong storytelling of those issues. Um Mark Miller, who's now one of the big guns in comic book writing, had only had sort of small runs in Swamp Thing and The Flash and the Superman Adventures before writing this. And you can tell he hasn't quite taken on the mantle of Mark Miller all caps yet. Right. Um, the art in here by Jackson Geis is, is a nice change up from the other books, and it's really, really beautiful. It's it's It, it looks more painted than it is drawn art, and I really enjoy it. Um it's, yeah, the the not to interrupt, but the art is, it's got like, it, it's almost like he he penciled it and did tones with the pencils rather than inking it, and then the colorist came and laid colors over that. It's it's like Sean said, it's 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 almost more of a painted look than traditional you know comic book line work. 
Yeah, and and it doesn't. It kind of has the feel of an Alex Ross type painted look, but not quite as as crisp. It has this sort of ethereal, surreal feel mm-hmm. throughout all of it. Um, the story uh, of this Superman is very much akin to the story of Doctor Manhattan in The Watchmen. And I think that's a really interesting take for this Superman character. Overall, this is so far one of the, the, you know, yes, we've only covered two issues of the second run of the tangent line. But if the second run of the tangent line is going to be anything like this, I think it's going to be just as good as the first run of it. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. I love basically everything about this. I mean, I love the story. I love the the literary bases. I, I love the art. I love the... I love the very direct ties back to real-world comic book history. Um, it's very inspired by, as uh, you know, uh, Kafka's The Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. But it's also got a sprinkling of Nietzsche's uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. As Sean said, it, it's got ties to uh, Dr. Manhattan and The Watchmen. And it's also something that's very near and dear to my nerd heart, The History of Superman. Because in the early 30s, Jerry Siegel started a fanzine that contained various sci-fi stories, most of which were written by him under various pen names. It only ran five issues. Uh, The third issue came out in early 1933 and contained a story called The Reign of the Superman. And in that story, there was a scientist named Professor Smalley who used a meteor fragment to create a serum that would give people super abilities – and then he, he coerces slash bribes a vagrant named Bill Dunn to serve as a human guinea pig, with the objective being that if it works, Smalley would then use the serum on himself, kill Dunn, and take over the world. Well, it works a little too well, and Dunn games, he gains a, like supreme intelligence and various extrasensory powers, and soon becomes drunk with the power, and long story short, he ends up killing Smalley, but it's only then that he realizes that his powers are wearing off and he has no way to recreate the formula and he's destined to become just the poor vagrant again. And there's no, there's no mention of the story in the back matter here, but I can't believe that it wasn't you know, absolutely intentional on Miller's part to, to be giving a nod to that, especially since late in this story here, there's a line about uh, Professor Chill still being – they found a photo, apparently, of Professor Chill as an old man in 1933. Hmm. So. That's that's a, that's an interesting tie-in. But, you know, I'm, I know with uh, Miller working with the Superman Adventures, even though that was more the comic book that dealt with the uh, animated series, mm-hmm. he, he obviously had a knowledge of the Superman characters. So, oh, yeah, he's a it, big Superman fan. So, yeah. so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be beyond person's thought that he was actually tying into that storyline or taking from that storyline mm-hmm. to put it to this tangent story. I think it was very much intended to be a reference. Mm-hmm. But yeah, over, like I said, overall, this is, this is perhaps the best book that I've read. You know, granted it's only the second one, but I'm, I'm going to say that this might be one of my top, my favorites from, from the second line right now. Mm-hmm. And it, it might seem odd given comments we've made about, other books and earlier in this episode in fact but I, I think it feels very much like a complete story to the point where I'm not sure I really need to see more of this character because I feel like 
we've kind of gotten his entire story. I, I I agree. I think the only thing that is set up for more that could be set up for more would be what is this ultra humanite and what is the thing going on with the EMP pulse. Oh, right. But that, but that specifically doesn't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily have to deal with the character of Superman himself. It has to do with the overarching uh, narrative of the tangent universe. Superman's story has been, completely told here his evolution his origin and what he is now um maybe more could be um mined for the idea of what what you know was he truly being altruistic and giving lola the uh, miracle pill so that would be the only thing but yes this is this is a very good stand on its own story all right well you want to take a break and then come back and get into the Yep, I'm 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 all for that. Let's go ahead and take a break and plug some promos here. Okay. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown, an unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring Superman and Batman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, the DC Comics Presents Show, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, It's Superman, the Schuster Herald Podcast, the Carousel Podcast, Superman Forever Radio, Superman Lives, Up, Up and Away, Cadmus to Crisis, a Superboy Podcast. The Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Russell Brad, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Bob Fisher, Chris Moe, Mario Benessi, Drew Wintermeyer, David Byer, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Eunice and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. 
back. And like we usually do, we're going to go ahead and take a look at the uh, page by page here. Do you want to start with the cover here? Sure. This, this book, maybe more than any other we've covered, is an origin story. And the thing that strikes me about this cover is that we don't see him in this specific outfit until the end. So I like that we have this very upfront and in-your-face and almost you know angry-looking, un-Superman-like character, and then the story draws you in to figure out how the character we meet in the beginning becomes this. Mm-hmm. You, you you don't if you look at this this is very distinctly different from a superman in fact oh, yeah. i'm kind of reminded and this is i don't know whether this is being pressing or as well because this came out like a year before the matrix movies would come out but he has a, a very definite look to um Lawrence Fishburne's character in the Matrix, the one of Morpheus, mm. and and it's it's very much like that because he has the uh, sort of stylized gi and the bow staff, and uh, throughout the Matrix movie, the idea of martial arts combat was very prevalent in this, and you kind of get the idea from this cover again, harkening back to the sort of Asian or manga type feel of it, that this might have, this Superman might be in some way martial arts oriented. At least from the design of his costume here, I hadn't but picked I, up on that, but I, I agree. But I, you know, I like it as well. It, it. I, I also now that we've done the that you did the uh, interview with Rain Hughes about the uh, all the titles. Mm-hmm. I can't not look at the you know the little uh, title bits and everything, especially the the icon for Superman here, the little circle with the man in front of it with the with the lines that's ex- extending out of it. It's 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 really neat to see that all that stuff. That's supposed to be now. a man, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a little stick figure man with a sort of telekinetic powers, you know, coming out. It's it's very cleverly done, and I'm starting to notice that a lot more after you know I read that article you did with him. Or that was great. You know, for the past. How, how old are these books? 98, this is 2014, 16, mm-hmm. 16 years, right? I thought that was supposed to be like a little, like, beacon of light or something. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's that's me just being woefully... Smart? Smarter well, than me? Yeah. No, I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a good cover. Now I look at it and all I can see is a little man. And... <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I smashed your illusion. No, I'm, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, here's where here's where the podcast ends, and we go our separate ways. Oh no. <laughs> um, moving into the book, page two. I love love the coloring on this page. Uh, mm-hmm. This this is a great way. It's it's all done, and again, harkening back to the Matrix, it's got that sort of green. Uh, eerie, just kind of otherworldly feel of it that that gives it a, a, a nice way to, de- to depict it as a flashback sequence here. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of um, parts of the book where they're just kind of like one uh, a single tone or single color. Yeah, but this this green they use here in this opening sequence, it really I mean, it's a it's a it's a, it's a disturbing enough scene to begin with, with the birth of a child and surrounded by military operatives and armed soldiers uh, but the green just really amps that up mm-hmm. makes it more and, unnerving well and the fact that it's not your traditional birth i mean the woman is there you know in the in the stirrups mm-hmm. getting ready to give birth and all the people around her are in gas masks with 
flamethrowers and machine guns and on the top panel you see two sort of military officials looking through a a glass window in the operating room it's just it gives a real sense that something eerie is going on here and it's a good setup to the story yes something else i noticed is that the mother looks white mhm and harvey's black um you're never you never see the father i think you right. see oh right yeah i'm not yeah you know i just... i can't i i can't it, it wouldn't be surprising that that harvey was of a mixed race but uh it would be you know but it, it is kind of odd because supposedly these experiments happened where did it say in the south book? carolina yeah in south carolina which in the 70s yeah which was a, an area that probably wasn't too keen on s- still even though the civil rights movement had supposedly come and gone if we take our timeline and sort of parallel it to the tangent one that the civil rights movement probably would have happened at the same time mm-hmm. but i'm certain there were still it still probably wasn't very prevalent to see mixed race relationships going on so that might that this might have been kind of just an experiment this might have been something that joe chill kind of wanted to do as sort of eugenics to see if that was uh, something that would uh, help with the Miraculo or Miraculo serum. So possibly makes it a lot darker when you think about it like that. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, and the, that's the thing. This is, I, I don't know where the character of Superman is going to go, but there are some really kind of eerie, creepy, dark parts in the story, which yes, makes it feel kind of, makes you feel kind of awkward but also enhances the story it makes it vastly different from the superman that we know in the regular dc universe mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's not all happiness and, and light as the dc universe tends to be presented presented but another thing i liked and i can go ahead and mention it here since we're starting the, the page by page is i like this uh uh narrative device that miller used this narration ultimately being an email from Lola. I thought it was mm-hmm. a great way to pack a lot of details into the story that would have maybe been difficult to do, which is a typical straightforward telling like we've gotten in the other books. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. To, to find out at the end that all of the narration throughout the book, and it's put in a different type font. It's more script written mm-hmm. than it is you know, your typical uh, narrative typeface. So it gives it a different feel and it gives you an idea that this, is, this isn't just the um, narrator or the editor putting in notes. This is something separate from that. And at the end that we find out that it is basically an email from Lola's is a nice way to, to tie it into the book. Yeah. One more, th- more kind of comic book uh, history note I thought it was interesting that they opted to use Harvey Dent as the character's name um, when the character of Two-Face was first introduced in the early 1940s his name was Harvey Kent yes and then that was later changed to Dent with the most often cited reason being that they didn't want confusion between Harvey Kent and Clark Kent yes and I'm not completely convinced that that wasn't just another mistake like the Mixius Pitalic, Mixius Tipalic thing, but it's still interesting that they would go with that name when they're recreating Superman. No, that that's that could also be another thing that if if 
what you say about Mark Miller being such a fan of Superman that he would actually make that reference mm-hmm. and sort of to to kind of call back the idea that Harvey Dent's initial outing was his last name was Kent instead of Dent, and that's been played up in I know in other uh, issues of say Batman where I think in the what in the Nightfall story learn Harvey got out of jail because there was a miscommunication about his name being Kent mm. instead of Dent. So, but that's that's interesting as well that they use that. Um, page page three. Are you familiar with the the Silver Age Legion of Superheroes Clubhouse? Um, no, but I'm assuming this is very very similar to it it is very similar basically the the silver age clubhouse looked like a rocket ship that had been stuck into the ground nose first hmm. and it had the big it was it was bright yellow and had fins coming spreading out at the top similar to this now uh, this this wouldn't this wouldn't surprise me in the uh, tangent universe because supposedly on the next page we get the idea that rj brand was the guy who uh, designed this building. And if I recall, well, R.J. Brand... He's the owner of the building. Okay, he's the owner of the building. Yeah. That supposedly R.J. Brand has something to do with the Legion. Now, I'm not... Yes. I've, I've heard it mentioned on Professor Allen's show that uh, Brand is uh, somehow associated with the Legion. And unfortunately, my knowledge of Legion is next to nothing. So uh, you know, I'm only taking this from you know uh, absorbed knowledge from other other podcasters yeah it varies from continuity to continuity as things do but basically generally speaking brand was the one who sort of financed the the beginning of the legion okay makes sense then the the original three members cosmic boy saturn girl and lightning lad uh saved his life at one point and then he kind of channeled some of his funds to help them establish the legion mm-hmm. um on page five, even though um, you mentioned in your synopsis that it looked like um, that Carter Hall jumped, to me there seemed to be a bit of ambiguity here. It, it seemed you couldn't really tell whether it was actually a jump or whether it was a miscalculation on Harvey's part and he just wasn't certain when he slapped the uh, handcuffs on him that he was going to fall forward or anything. So it, oh. it did, it did leave a bit of ambiguity to why this happened. Um, it, it, it did of course have to happen because if this, if this didn't, it wouldn't have activated the whatever miraculo gene to, uh, cause Harvey to start uh, ad- advancing into the Superman mode. But mm-hmm. it, it, for me, it seemed a bit ambiguous to what was going on in that first panel. I took the Harvey's slight miscalculation line to be a reference to the previous page where he says, um, there's no way you're going to go skydiving now unless you plan on taking me with you. And frankly, you don't smell like the homicidal variety to me. That could be it. But yeah, that could yeah, be it. I, you could be right. It is kind of well, ambiguous. Well, and that's you know again that uh, that's good storytelling there that you could either see it you you can see it both ways. Mm-hmm. So that's like I said, good storytelling by by Miller. Page six. I really liked the uh, the sequence with the Dick Van Hero show. Not only did it give us another look at the culture of the world and, and how it's been influenced by superheroes, which you know we've talked before, we really like that. But it also, you know, you've got the ant head kid and the superhero dog and the, the wacky 50s hijinks 
as a fan of the, the Silver Age, Mort Weisinger, Superman silliness, this just really hit a, a happy note for me. Mm-hmm. And it's and even if you don't uh, have that connection to the Silver Age, if you have a connection to like the Dick Van Dyke show or mm-hmm. those TVs, those TV shows from the fifties and sixties, like. Uh, you know, like the Sherwood Schwartz type things or, right. you know, the Honeymooners or stuff like this. This is typical, typical 50s, 60s sitcom stuff. And it's really nice that we actually get an opportunity to see that because we've only had it referenced during the book and we never really gotten a chance to actually delve into it. So this is this is kind of fun, even it, even though it is very 50s kind of goofy sitcom type TV show. Right. So page seven we get pie face yep i was gonna say this was this was gonna be the thing where i was gonna go on a slight little rant i mean the the character of pie face in the green lantern book when he's tom kalmaku i have no problem with pie face i do Mm -hmm. i don't like the fact that his name initially was kind of not kind of a racial epithet and it really makes no sense why this guy would be named pie face in the in the tangent universe because the reason tom kalmaku was named pie face was because hal jordan in his oh so politically correct way decided to call a person who was of eskimo slash inuit origin origin pie face right. as in eskimo pie and i i don't get it because this this person here has it it, it makes no sense to me it just irks me so yeah. i think originally it was meant to be a term of endearment from hal to tom mm-hmm. but it does have very racial uh connotations like you said it, it is it is a racial term and to and given that why they would use it here even for a character who doesn't appear to be Inuit or or of Eskimo descent you know so it could have a different origin in, in this universe but still why reference something that is racist racial yeah and it 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 doesn't make any sense i mean i understand you're wanting to put little seeds of stuff in there but uh, yeah it, well, you they, could have used any other character yeah or they could have called him Tom Kamaku yeah, no. they just could have. Yeah, that would have been simple enough. That would have been, you know, people who know the DC universe would have gone, oh, they're they're putting a reference in there. But they have to use the name Pie Face, which has now been sort of used as a negative term to denote these people. It's just I don't know why they did it. Yeah. Doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Uh, but moving on to page eight, um, this is where we start getting into the. Uh, Harvey's changes and whatnot, and it talks about him making radical proposals for policing, but what were these? I mean, what kind of universally applicable proposals could he have made? It it just seemed like a weird line. Well, it it may just be these things where he's, you know, saying, well, we should, uh, you know, patrol this thing, and maybe it was more shoot first, ask questions later. It it Mm -hmm. just, it, it sort of sees that his character might be darkening a little bit, that his character might be getting a bit more grim than the average police official would be. So it, it, it again, allows you to use your own 
mental process to try and figure out where he's trying, what kind of proposals he's trying to come up with to reduce crime in this neighborhood. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I, I like this. I like this uh, page as well, showing basically what has happened after this accident and how he's radically changing. And it, like I said, it does definitely uh, parallel what happened with uh, the the character of Doctor Manhattan. And you know, it, it also asks the question: when you start out as a normal person like everyone else and gain powers like this that make you smarter or more powerful than anyone else. How does that affect you as a person? Does it, how does it isolate you now that you can know and do all these things? How can you relate to people who can't? And it's, it's an interesting concept that they're approaching here. Right. I like the artwork in the final panel on the page. Oh yeah. The shading of the, mm-hmm. just the, and, and it's done in that one color as well. It's just the sort of blue shading with the light coming in on them. It's it's and and then the figure work is great. Yeah, I mean it's just really great texture in his muscles and the, the fabric in the, the sheets and the the lighting on the wall. It's just a really a really nice panel in a book that has great artwork. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of great artwork, moving to uh, to page nine, I'm going to be uh, sort of uh, misogynistic here and say Lola. Uh, she's uh, she's very hot. I like her. I like her um, night gown thing whatever she's wearing uh, that third panel is is very nice uh however i i have to wonder where did uh harvey get the uh the costume from the police officer from the village people to go <laughs> flying around outside the window yeah it is very anachronistic for 1998 yeah it does seem a bit uh, but uh the facial expressions that guys does for the characters especially for lola here on this panel are just Phenomenal. Yeah, that that soft smile in the final panel we see her in. It's very. Oh yeah, it's it's really good. Page. I'm skipping ahead to page eleven. Okay, I had a mention on page ten. This is where this is another example where um, the they're they're doing panels in just one simple color, and it really helps to distinguish from that. You've got the the top panel has is sort of colored normally, but then the bottom three panels are primarily. A sort of pinkish purple, mm-hmm. uh, very yellow and very blue, and it's it's a nice way to separate the panels out. And of course, you know, I know if I finally got the uh, power of flight or levitation, the first thing I would do would be to have sex while flying. So, so of course, that's what Harvey does as well. Well, yeah, you know, if you can, why not? I <laughs> brought the brought the show to a halt there. Yeah, that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be completely off track now. Page 11, I, I like that he goes from, you know, the small neighborhood problems to citywide issues to superhuman threats. I, I think it's more believable than just going right from everyday guy to fighting supervillains. Uh, plus it shows his, his powers are growing. And again, it, it parallels the, the real world history of Superman who, you know, started out tackling primarily social issues and gangsters and thugs and then eventually supervillains later mm-hmm. in his publishing history. Exactly. It's a good it's a good progression from the golden age to the silver age into the bronze age. You know, him him becoming more powerful and uh, gaining more abilities means that he has to take on different villains and they they aptly do that in just this one page showing him initially starting out foiling 
street level crimes and then finally tackling you know big baddies like uh, Johnny Thunder and uh, who's this heat wave and this um, man oh, bat type character yes the homeboy legion that's I think, I think they should get their own special uh, you know, I'm certain. You know that that might have been good if they could do a crossover between the Tangent Universe and what is it? Not the Malibu Universe, but the one that had uh, Static in it. Oh, Milestone. Oh, uh, Milestone. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And, and as, I, I think the the Tangent Superman and the Milestone characters would work well and work work together well. Kind of interesting. It'd be interesting to see those characters mm-hmm. how they how they'd mesh. Yep. My only problem with these pages. And this goes back to about page eight or so. Is that uh, you, you, it? It really comes with that narrative narrative device that I said I liked earlier, and that you don't really get Harvey's thoughts on these changes. You, you're very much an outside observer through what turns out to be Lola's point of view, and it does help sell the idea that he's becoming um, distant and, and isolated. But at the same time, I would have liked to have been in his head a little more, since he is the protagonist of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah it it does it does have a good narrative arc to have it being told by this outsider. But it, I guess it does leave you it, it does leave you kind of ambiguous to what his motivations are right are they are they truly altruistic and and at the end of the story you kind of still are wondering are his motives still altruistic as as this superhuman character is he doing this for the good of humanity or is he doing this just because he can so um i don't have notes until page 13 all right page 12 i wanted to say it was just good to see adam and the flash and even Big Barda from the Joker comic again. Oh yeah, they're in the in the helicopter there. That's kind of cool. On page thirteen, uh, I get that uh, we get to the crux of the character. When you have near omnipotence, how does that affect you, or how does it affect who you are as a person as well as the people you care about? Here, Lola feels completely neglected. She has no connection to Harvey at all. To the fact that she feels in order to have some sort of engagement with someone that she can relate with, she has to have an affair with Pie Face. Right. And even when she tells Harvey that, that doesn't phase him at all because he says he knows it would have happened and he knew about it prior to it happening. And she, I think I think Lola in this page expected this to be something to sort of shock Harvey back into trying to be more relatable to her, but because he is so unrelatable now, it doesn't even phase him. And it's 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 really interesting how Miller is tackling this character and his transformation from just normal loving police officer to near omnipotent being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. It- you feel so bad for Lola because mm-hmm. she she's losing her her love and he doesn't even seem to care mm-hmm. about that. And it's like I said, it's again kind of akin to what we saw with uh, oh the uh, uh, not Silk Spectre, Doctor Manhattan, Doctor Man, yeah, Doctor Manhattan, and uh, oh, I wish I could remember Lori. Yeah, Lori. Yeah, Lori and the and the Watchman. Please edit this out so I don't sound as stupid as I 
right now. <laughs> uh, um, I, I think the art helps a lot too here because you know her body language and her um, you you can just tell in her face that she's been not sleeping well and crying. You know, her eyes are puffy and her face looks swollen. It's just the the art sell the art sells it as well as the the writing does. Mm-hmm. And it also sells the disconnect between Harvey and Lola here, mm-hmm. and that Harvey is just sitting in the well, not even sitting. He's floating around in the room in a very Christ-like pose, just floating above her as she pours her heart out to him, and it doesn't affect him at all. Yeah, it's it's very the he art sells up. Turn to face her or look no. at her or anything. No, it's. It, 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 the artwork really sells the disconnect between the two of them. Moving on to page 14 and 15, I guess. A different, a little bit of a different kind of disconnect. I, I pretty much did a double take that this was meant to be the same character as in the Nightwing book, this uh, Black Orchid. Mm-hmm. It fits and everything makes sense. It's just the art differences between the two books really threw me for a loop. Yeah, the, Jackson Geis's character take on the character of Black Orchid is significantly more realistic than Jander Semma's. Mm-hmm. Jander Semma's was very stylized and very of that sort of 90s feel. But, uh, you know, it's nice. I, I enjoyed the fact that Black Orchid and the Nightwing characters were seated in this book. And I'm certain we'll, uh, when we get to the Nightwing Night Force story, we'll get more about what's been going on with them. But, yeah, there is a bit of Seeing Black Orchid drawn this way by Jackson Geis really kind of does it, – it makes you – you know, it doesn't diminish what Jander Simma did, but it does definitely have a different feel from that book. Yes. And I like the first panel where she's in the rain and the alley in the rain and the the way the, the her cape is kind of flowing down. It's just a very noir-looking panel. Mm-hmm. The, the shadows and stuff on her face. Oh yeah, it's like I said. The art through this is some of the best I've seen in the tangent line. You know, even even kind of rivaling what we saw with uh, the the Metal Man story. Mm. So so I'm I'm I've really enjoyed this. My next notes aren't until uh, seventeen and eighteen when we get into the origin. Yep, that's where mine's are as well. Okay. Mine's are as well. Well, with the origin, I I don't want to say it's believable in a real world sense, but when you think of the kind of atrocities in our in our own past, especially during World War II, and then translate that into a comic book fiction. I think it is very believable in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I likened a lot of this on pages uh, 17 through 19 as a sort of analog to the uh, Tuskegee experiment, mm-hmm. where the CDC experimented on impoverished, primarily black people to determine the effectiveness of uh, penicillin. Uh, it was... Uh, uh, and then on these pages, it also sees the removal of President Nixon by Nightwing. So uh, I think uh, – who was it? Janine mentioned something about happening with uh, President Nixon eventually in the book. So um, yeah, it's 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 brilliant art. And again, it's – the uh, coloring helps distinguish it from the rest of the book where the coloring is all this sort of muted almost – it's not quite brownish gray. It's got a little hint of maybe, maybe sort of the purple to it, but the but the just the coloring of, in it. Yeah, it's kind of a sepia tone. 
yeah, it's it's definitely yeah, CP it, it definitely it definitely sells the the flashback feel of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, on page nineteen, you mentioned in your synopsis what happened to the scientist at this Nightwing base was probably pretty horrific. And that that one panel of of Harvey just the side panel on page nineteen, that last panel of him looking and the sort of energy coming out of his eye. Mm-hmm you know mirrored with the uh, panel prior to that of all the people sort of sitting there screaming makes you kind of feel that he might have turned a corner for doing things that our superman probably never would do right yeah and i like that it was left ambiguous because you you know you you can you can guess it wasn't a pleasant ending but did he kill them or did he lobotomize them or 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 leave them with lifelong nightmares you, you don't know and it, it's one place where not being in his head really does work in the story's favor because you know you can think of things that are far more chilling than anything they could show you yes that's that's exactly true i think i think a lot of times when things are left up to your imagination in stories not only comic books but other you know uh, any other types of narrative it can always be more horrific than if it's put on the screen or put on the page so i like the fact that they did leave this somewhat ambiguous jumping back a page to be honest i'm a little put off on it's page 18 when mm-hmm. chill is you know he in many ways he's painted as kind of a sympathetic villain because it talks about how chill took the blame and went down as one of history's greatest villains but then it says Strange thing is, Cho would have been hailed as a hero if his operation had been a success. I guess America just doesn't like losers. No, we don't like people who slaughter towns in the name of science. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably true. That, that right. now, now, Mark Miller, he's from the Grant Morrison. Isn't he also um, uh, one of these UK writers who came over along with Borison and uh, Garth Ennis and Warren Ellis and t- st- people like that? Yes. So maybe he does maybe his outlook on on america is kind of different you know coming from a uk standpoint yeah, so could be. maybe that's just it but yeah i, I agree i i don't think you know we would have regarded you know if if it had if he had succeeded and it came out that he experimented on impoverished people in order to get these race of superhuman beings i don't think that we would be too keen on it no regardless i hope not yeah no i I don't think i don't think we would say oh the ends justify the beans so no uh page 20 i showing the building from the start of the book was a nice touch sort of bringing things back to where they started Mm Hmm. yeah this is the end you you get the reveal that lola was the one who was who was sending the email because uh, as was established in the book people who had problems would send emails to 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 Harvey and he would find a way to help them out. So Lola herself is sending an email to Harvey to try and have him help her out because she can't connect with him any other way. It's it's her desperation that's causing her to try and make this connection with him in the only way that she can find possible. So right. it's great. Did we explain the significance of the emails? I don't know if we did. Basically, people would email Harvey when they needed help. And he had some sort of configuration in his brain where he could get the emails instantaneously. Yes. So this is her way of of saying, 
they, that she needs help from the Superman, but it's all, you know, she she's writing kind of in the third person about Harvey to Harvey, you know, without saying you and all that. Yes, it, it, it's a, it's an effective storytelling device, you know, that's seeded throughout the book. And I like I like that you know when we got here that it was all that all the narrative or that all the caption boxes were essentially done. Uh, in Lola's voice. Right. So I really enjoyed that. Page 21, do you do you think that some small part of Harvey kind of held on to the idea that his transformation might be able to be reversed somehow? Because hmm. earlier in the issue, Lola's narration says that Harvey never really bought the idea that his evolution was accidental. And then we see him in this... Uh, this uh, space guru outfit which we hadn't seen before and Lola comments on it so it's clearly new and I wonder if part of him always thought that this was a phase or maybe could be reversed somehow which is why he never worked on repairing his relationship with Lola but now that he's learned his true origin he's you know you said he, he's kind of turned a corner and he, he's resigned himself and accepted the fact that this is his lot in life but because he's grown so emotionally cold and distant, he can't connect with her anymore. So, you know, as she says at the end, he's just she's just become another problem that he has to prove he can solve. Yeah, I think I think that may be it. I think that this is the point where he realizes that there may be no turning back, and what what he's becoming is is something that he can't change this is something that can't be reversed so this is why he's finally adopted this look you know rather than the very his previous look that he had when he was doing super heroics was kind of akin to the adams look it was a skin type bodysuit with a cape and everything and this one is very very different like i said it felt more like he said space guru i think is a good example of it but i think it is yes him essentially accepting who he is and what he's going to have to be for for now on. Yeah. And it's interesting, he never until she pushes him on it a couple pages later, he never says, I love you, I need you, you're important to me. It's just I can never go back. It would be like asking you to drag your knuckles across the floor. Mm-hmm. But I can bring you to where I am. Yeah, and so. And again, that's the thing. After all we've seen of Harvey throughout all this book, of him evolving to be less human or having emotions less human, to see at the end him come to Lola and say that I that that was all a ruse, or not really that that was all a ruse, but I've 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 understand who I understand who I am now, and I want you to come with me. And be a part of who I am and be similar to who I am so I can relate to you better because I've always wanted to relate to you kind of possibly feels disingenuous and you're you're left feeling it's that ambiguous feeling whether or not he's doing this because he cares or is he doing this because of his own desire to try and fix things right and i love that it's kept ambiguous at the end and that lola even calls him out at the end you know are you doing this to because you love me or because you're trying to solve another problem it's it's really really stellar storytelling from mark miller in this book Mm -hmm. 
yeah, if if people are only familiar with the uh, like you said, the all caps Mark Miller. That yeah, that's a lot yes, today. Civil War and uh, the Ultimates, I believe, and all that kind of stuff. That's that that stuff that he, he did write the Ultimates, didn't he? I'm yes, trying. I think so. So, yeah. so uh, you know, Mark Miller, kick ass. Yeah, you know the the very stylized, controversial stuff. This is very, very well written, very introspective, and a very thought provoking story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at the end, uh, we get another reference to the, the worldwide EMP, which was referenced in the Batman issue last episode. And then we get the added detail of the emergence of this giant manga-esque looking entity called the Ultra-Humanite. And I, I don't remember the details about where this is going, but I look forward to experience, experiencing it again. Mm-hmm. I also just noticed something here on, on page 22. When we get the... Uh dialogue delivered by Harvey here in the uh, caption boxes it has the uh the superman symbol from the uh, front cover there uh prefacing the uh the little caption boxes oh yeah which which we didn't have during any of the caption boxes when it was Lola writing the email so mm-hmm. that's kind of neat there just a little neat sound but yeah this this was a, an exceptional book uh yeah mark miller I think you know if if your opinions of Mark Miller are of his recent stuff, where he's been been like I've said, Mark Miller all caps. This is just a good story. I think it's kind of akin to to uh, Grant Morrison during this time period when he was writing JLA, where where a lot of times his stuff would be mildly trippy, but it wasn't Final Crisis trippy. And it was just good storytelling. Right. So I think we've got this this era of Mark Miller right here who's doing that. He's just giving us good storytelling. And this is good storytelling. Definitely agree. And I know we've only had two books, but it's it's definitely my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. The second wave. Yeah, and I will you know, I've I will admit I've read ahead a few issues. Of course I had to you know, we're gonna be doing later the uh, next issue. Um but uh I, I've read a few ahead and yeah, so far this is this is uh, a super super issue. <laughs> I see what you there. Yes, I did that, yes. Oh, we should also mention that for those of you who are, are following along with the trade paperbacks or, or want to get the trade paperbacks, I, I should say this is the first issue in the third volume. Yes, because and I think because of the first two, the first volume encompassed a lot of the uh, first run, and then the second volume incorporated last of the set first run, mm-hmm. as well as the Batman issue. Right. And then because these issues were shorter stories, we were able to it, they were able to collect them all in one third volume of the Tangent Universe. So, yeah, but this was like I said, this was a a really great story and with really great art and yeah like i said this could possibly be one of my favorites of the second run and maybe maybe even one of my favorites of the entirety of the tangent line so mm-hmm. good story but uh do you have anything else you want to mention on this book i'm good okay well i might as well tell you that the next time out we're going to be covering the next person in the trinity of the tangent universe yes we're going to be talking about wonder woman However, it's not quite the Wonder Woman you would expect, but 
that's what you'd expect from the tangent universe, which is kind of silly because, well, yes, it'll be it's it's basically Peter David, Peter David writing Wonder Woman. It should be interesting, but hopefully you guys will be coming back here in a couple of weeks to hear us talk about that. Until then, thanks, everyone, for downloading and listening and make sure you come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Bye, everyone. See ya. listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review. Maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names.